Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare IT Today, where we explore the latest healthcare technology trends and discover valuable insights in health IT. I'm Colin Hung, and I recently had the chance to sit down with Duncan Weatherston, CEO of Smile CDR, a Canadian company that has made a big bet on the FIRE standard and has grown quickly from just five people to over 250 in just a few years. Let's roll the recording. Smile CDR is a data platform that's designed to help people and businesses get into the internet economy in healthcare. It's designed to allow providers and payers and other health participants to store information, share that information, um, and really take advantage of modern APIs when interacting with each other. So what, what, who are your customers? What, what kind of people use your platform? Um, we're very fortunate to have some very large forward-thinking customers. We have clients like Change Healthcare, um, um, Highmark, Centene, uh, LabCorp, uh-huh. Health Sciences, South Carolina, Health, Health um, Healthcare Services Corporation, HCSC. Um, we have clients in Canada, like the Government of Canada. We're, we're in 17 countries. We've got clients, you know, kind of globally who are kind of a who's who of healthcare in both payers and providers. And, and what is it that they're hiring you to do? What's the problem that they're trying to solve by bringing on a solution like yours? So I think it's oh, in, in everybody's mind's eye that they need to be able to use information more effectively. And the historical tools that are available to healthcare organizations to manage and use their information are limiting. And so they use us as a platform to store information, to process it, to share it, to, to um, react to it, to use event-driven interactions. They use us basically as, as a tool, which is going to enable them to use their information in ways that are more aligned with modern information practices. So, so how do you differentiate or how do you complement a classic interoperability tool like the Redoxes of the world and others that are in, this, in that sort of space? Are you the same as them? Are you different than them? Yeah, we're different than them. We actually work with them, right? You know, for example, Redox, as you mentioned, we view them as a fantastic partner and ally because what they do is they provide the ability to reach into a variety of technologies and present, you know, components that are usable in building applications. And, and what we provide is a component they can reach into and present information that's useful. Ultimately, though, um, when we are successful, you won't have to have a different tool for each environment, right? Every application will support an open standard and the ability to get at that data. And so a company like Redox will actually have a set of capabilities that allow you to take advantage of the myriad of systems in your environment and then present common applications that are able to um, sort of be developed rapidly and effectively. So we work very closely. I've got a high opinion of Redox. Great, that's awesome. Can you give me an example of, of something specific in terms of you know, the way you would work with data um, with your clients and as opposed to something that an interoperability tool or a classic, as you put it, moving from point A to point B tool would do? Sure. So um, if you think about the goal, the goal is to have information available in an open standard format. So most of our clients will put 
their data into our database as a destination. Okay. In our database, um, we have the ability to both do processing on the way in or on the way out to um, augment or to, to normalize the data. Uh, we have things like MDM and capabilities to deal with deduplication. We have consent. We have a whole bunch of tools that make that information interaction um, possible in the modern context. And so it, it's that pattern of having a data store that is fully focused on being open standards compliant, that being transparent, our, you know, our data liberation strategy more or less means that we believe that the, the client owns the information and should have full visibility into it. And so they use us in that form, right? They use us basically as a place where they can put their data and be able to interact with it using modern standards and then have a whole bunch of cool tools that enable them to achieve kind of application outcomes they want. And what's the growth being from the company? It sounds like you've got this wonderful tool. What, what's what's that sort of uh, vector of growth been for you? It's been pretty incredible. You know, we started with five of us um, in 2016. We were bootstrapped, so we um, you know did it on our own backs. In five years, we grew it from uh, five people to 250, um, from a you know a local sort of idea to a platform that's used in some of the largest companies on the planet. We've got um, a lot of a lot of momentum in terms of support from our clients, um, in terms of support from investors. Uh, we recently went for a round and raised twenty million, um, and it was it was remarkably uh, pleasant experience. So you know, <laughs> even what I'd heard previously about raising money from others, I was anticipating something to be much worse. So the, the, the people we worked with are fantastic, and the outcomes um, are you know are are also incredibly fantastic. So just on that note, I was going to ask you about the funding. So you, you've got 20 million in a, in a round of funding. Where is that going to be used and, and how's that going to be deployed? So the way we were successful, I describe it often as um, having a fishing boat, taking it out and having the fish jump into your boat. You know, we were small, we didn't have a big marketing budget. And we were very fortunate that we had these fantastic clients who kind of had the vision and understood what we were trying to get to. Um, but I don't think that's a persistent business model, right? I mean, you, you really ought to be fishing if you've got a fishing boat. And so we're, we're going to be using some of our money to build out our sales and marketing teams further and to be more aggressive in our approach in that sense. Um, we're going to be using some of our money to be able to also extend our support. One of the challenges with this type of business is that it is a solution business. And so when you're doing implementations, you have to be able to keep up with the demands of your clients. And we've got very big clients. And so obviously it adding to our support, our support base is good. And the other piece is we're using it as part of the mechanism for us to sort of rebuild the way that we're interacting. So we've got some really great partnerships coming down the pipe with some very large integration companies. And so we're, we're basically, this given us this sort of ability to retool and reposition ourselves for success, given the type of growth we had, you know, three to 500% year over year, um, every year for the past five years, uh, you know, we've, we've been, we've been constantly chasing our tails a bit and getting some money and allows us to sort of focus and, and, and go forward. So you, you obviously got a base in Canada you're successful in the United States, uh, international expansion. Is that? Yeah. Something you... We've got clients in Australia, New Zealand, South America, Europe. Uh, we're doing some work in Asia now. Um, one of our targets, like I was saying earlier on is the idea that you can take success in developed nations and parlay it into technologies that are sustainable in developing nations. And so with that in mind, um, we're really looking to work uh, in Africa, Asia, South America in ways that are sustainable, uh, both with LMX and other developing nations. Interesting, okay. Um, 
you know, because you're based in Canada, I got to ask you this question. What, what's your feeling on the state of healthcare innovation in Canada? Um, and I ask so that question with the context of most people think it's a backwater of innovation yeah. in healthcare. But I still don't think so. I think if you look at what happened, Canada really invested money in building out healthcare innovation. Um, they, they threw money through um, InfoAid and, and a few other channels. And consequently, there were a lot of small businesses that got exposure to ideas that would probably not normally have been uh, at the forefront. And so it's not just us. If you look around, there's a whole bunch of Canadian companies that have come up with interesting patterns. Uh, you know, Point Click Care is a good example of that. Um, and others. And so I think Canadians have had a chance to really sort of um, hone their skills in, in sort of that environment and then be able to export them. And when I, when I travel abroad, people always say, it's really weird how many people from Canada are doing healthcare things internationally. I guess we had, we had a bit of a creative burst as a consequence. <laughs> Is there anything that you feel that we could do better to encourage more innovation, more companies to start like SmileCDR uh, in the future? Yeah, so I think one of the challenges, of course, is that um, the approach that Canadians have to our purchasing of technologies is that we look to uh, America as the leadership. Like it, one the, one thing I've always said to everybody is the reason why we're finally being successful in Canada is because we got successful elsewhere, right? We initially sold almost nothing in Canada. We did great abroad. I went to Duke University for my first presentation. Our first client was in the Netherlands. Our next three clients were in the US. We were very lucky. We got a great um, interaction with the government of Canada. They had something called the Built in Canada program and we got a chance to work with Health Canada. That was very effective in giving us a boost. Um, but in general, you know, we, we got success in Canada after we got success abroad. That, that seems to be the pattern for most companies like Point Click Care and others where success at the home in Canada comes secondary to success in another market. Yeah, I think that's a Canadian, I think that's a Canadian perspective, right? We view stuff made in Canada as somehow um, second tier or, you know, like farm league. And it's only when it's, you know, done in the big leagues that we're like, oh, hey, we competed in the big leagues. But I think that's just a Canadian character. Are you seeing an acceleration of the adoption of the fire standard uh, finally, yeah. or or is it still sort of the slow plotting pace of the adoption that we've seen with the other standards? No, so I'd say I'd say fire has been taking off. One of the things there was a very um, well thought out approach uh, taken by the ONC. They were looking to drive um, EHRs in an environment where adoption has been relatively challenging, and so they came up with this brilliant idea that if they get the payers to provide patients with access to their health records then you'll get, because the payers have all the data, you'll get the data in the hands of the patients and they can make decisions about it. And because they were being farsighted, they chose fire and so they put pressure on it. It's really pumped up the level of anticipation and adoption of fire. But even before they did that, we were starting to see that the trend sort of trend upward. So this is more of the same, but fire, you know, if you talk to anybody in the healthcare industry who's associated with the technology space, what we've heard is it's not if they're going to fire, it's when they're going to fire. And that pressure has been building and building. So it's, it's definitely going to be a, um, you know, a consistent drumbeat for the next five years until it's yesterday's news because everybody's already on fire. So do you feel that the info blocking rule in the U.S. has really pushed more people towards adopting fire sooner then? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think just the fact that they've, that they've, um, they've acknowledged that this standard is important has been enough to get people thinking about it and, and being aggressive. And, you know, like I said, because it's so transformative, the character of fire is 
um, a 21st century implementation. It's not just moving data from place to place. It's an API that allows you to query the data. It's a data model that allows you to understand what the information is going to be, but in a way that's published publicly so that everybody can have access to it and maintained publicly so that everybody can feed into what data records should be there. I love the way that they've done the maturity model. Like I'm a huge fan of what FIRE has done in terms of the structure that's proposed. I'm a huge fan of the idea of implementation guides. I'm uh, astonished and, and in awe of the work done by all of the communities like Da Vinci and others who are building these things out for all of us to use. It is absolutely transformative. I think it's gonna take um, healthcare out of the doldrums and into the exciting future that, that that's available to us. And there's a lot to change and a lot to improve. And you know, all I have to do is look at the costs of the system to see that there, you know, anything which you improve is marginal changes can provide huge financial benefit. Where can people find out more information about SmileCDR? Where would you point them? I'd point them to our website. You can come to www.smilecdr.com and we've got all of the information there. Um, I'd certainly point people to go look at um, HL7 Fire's websites because that gives you all of the really credible information about why I'm such, such a fan of these open standards and the approaches. And I'd look at some of the sites like DaVinci and uh, Blue Button for, for, for more good carrying lines. I want to thank Duncan Weatherston, CEO of SmileCDR, for sitting down with me to tell us more about the company and the work that they're doing. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening and watching this. Also, head over to healthcareittoday.com, where you can get access to free resources, industry news, and insightful articles. You can also connect with us on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung. Thanks for being here.